okay, this, this isn't from, this isn't like, you know, a soda can or a, a plastic fork. This is like micro, you know, small pellets of plastic. Where are they coming from? And so I started diving into that, into that work. And that changed my life. That one question of where does this come from changed my entire life because I realized it was me. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. Okay, so hello everyone. Hello, Emma. The fall equinox is upon us. Yes, it certainly is. And when fall is in the air, it usually means that we are busy planning our annual slow living retreat. And this year is no exception. So just in case you haven't heard, it's a little different this year. Yeah, and just like everything else, it's virtual. So we are holding the Slow Living Retreat online in its entirety. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you that have been to either of our past in-person retreats, you're probably asking yourself how that works, just like we were when we first started thinking about it. But then... We began to realize that maybe, given the unavoidable circumstances, that it was a real opportunity for us to open this amazing event up and widen our community of slow living enthusiasts in a way that could never really happen if we were all trying to congregate in the same geographical location. Yes, and of course, it's not the same as a stunning fall weekend and a renovated farmhouse in rural Maryland, but it does allow us the opportunity to offer you a much wider variety of workshops and presentations from people all over the place. And it also makes it possible for anyone to participate from wherever you are at a much lower cost and without all of the travel and accommodation logistics. And honestly, you don't even have to be there live because we have recordings available to enjoy each of the sessions at your own schedule and pace. But we can hear you. You might be thinking, why would I want to sign up for a bunch of Zoom classes, no matter how great they are, when I'm so Zoomed out already, I'm so screened out? Yeah, we're all on the screens all too much these days. The one key element that we are going for here that's really going to differentiate us from all other online events that you're doing and the whole reason that we started doing this and are doing the retreat again is for the community yeah if there's anything the world needs at this moment this is it and our lady farmer slow living community is growing more than ever right now and i think uh, more than what we're doing 
it's that people are looking for this sort of thing and they're looking for like-minded people and they're looking for connection and they're looking for inspiration and information and guidance. And this is all of the things that we're bringing to you with our slow living retreat. Yeah. And I'll just add here quickly that we really mean it when we say that we're bringing you community because we are literally launching this new online platform, online community platform with the slow living retreat. So when you sign up for the slow living retreat, um, in just a few weeks, when we inaugurate this new platform, you'll get a login and, um, it's called the almanac and you will sign on and you will meet everyone who's going to be at the retreat. So for the few weeks leading up to the retreat, you'll be able to meet people, explore the various workshops that are already in the community, get to know my mom and I a little bit more, um, just like start to explore this community. And then that's where we'll be during the retreat. So we'll have a place to chat in between sessions um, and connect one-on-one. You know, you can connect with people in your workshops even after the workshop is over and then beyond, honestly. The, the goal of this is is to be a launching point for connections and community. We're super excited about it. Yeah. And, and we, we talk a whole lot about community in today's episode with Ilana Jadala. She's a photographer, an educator, marketing strategist, and environmental advocate that views life and business through the lens of sustainability. Alana is passionate to the core about her conviction and what she feels is her responsibility to change the way we live and the way we do business. Alana is such a wonderful person. She is so fun to talk to. We just had the best time chatting with her. She's super cool. She spends her time between Hawaii and Maine. And most recently, uh, she has made a more permanent move to Maine and was like very recently engaged to her long-term partner in life and business. So we're really happy for her. It's been fun to watch her journey. When we recorded this earlier in the quarantine days, um, that move to Maine, I remember, was a possibility but not a certainty. So it's been really fun to watch her journey. Yay, congratulations, Ilana. What I love so much about today's conversation is the way Ilana so eloquently shares her personal story of her journey. First, as a beginning awareness of the plastic pollution that's devastating our oceans, which she has the opportunity to witness firsthand from her home in Hawaii. And then to a full awakening to the truth of her own part in what she was witnessing. This is so key. Not only did we find Alana's story both moving and inspiring, but she's lively and smart and she knows her stuff. All in all, this was a wonderful conversation, and we are so happy to share it here with you today. So without further ado, please enjoy Ilana Jadala. I, I'm originally from Utah, and I live now between the states of Hawaii and Maine, um, and as far as career-wise, like you said, there's been many transitions. Um, 
I've always been in marketing. That's kind of been the steady. It tends to always be small business owners um, and trying to help them navigate their online presence and learning ways to, like I said, cultivate community and really um, build something amazing surrounding your company. Um, people who become, you know, your not only your customers, but they become your um, your voice and they want to scream your name from their rooftops, if you will. Um, so that has taken on a form of photography. Um, I still do consulting and, um, also writing for publications and just different things. So it's kind of been a, like I said, ebb and flow through, um, the years I've been doing it for almost a decade. Um, and I've met some absolutely incredible people from all over the world. And, um, in most recent years, it's kind of shifted, I guess, from my personal, it started with me personally and then moved into our business. But I started learning about, you know, all the many environmental issues that we're facing collectively as a population and started making, you know, personal decisions and personal choices and personal habits and rituals in my life. And then it kind of just moved into our business on, you know, serving more conscious businesses um, and also helping our current clients, you know, move towards that and figuring out um, what, you know, sustainable looks like in business. Would you like to talk about like sustainability in business? And this is what you consider to be your role is helping businesses move towards that sustainability. Is, Is that accurate? For me, it's kind of a twofold. So sustainable is um, the word sustainability is kind of a twofold definition, if you will. Like half of it is the ability to um, maintain something at a certain rate. So thinking like long term or longevity of something. Um, and then the other of it, the other portion of sustainability is the avoidance of depletion of natural resources um, to you know maintain ecological balance in the world. And so that's kind of how I look at what a sustainable business is. Um, Obviously, you know, our practices on how we manufacture, how we ship, how we package, all of those things um, can be analyzed and changed to be much more restorative, much more regenerative. Um, But also, you want to be thinking, what is the long-term goal? What is the legacy of this business? And so I guess my work started in the, in the, the legacy part of it. What my intention has been for the past decade is empowering entrepreneurs with a deep understanding of their core mission, their core values, um, and their story, if you will, so that they can keep telling it for a really long time. Um, And with any sort of marketing, I think a lot of people are thinking quick strategies, grow quick. It's just this really um, breakneck pace. And throughout my career, my whole goal has been to slow people down, really get into it. And once you're fully aware of of your story and the many ways that you can kind of tell it, that's what builds those lasting, strong brands that you see go transition to transition. You know, they grow with their, um, their owners and their teams, and they're not fizzling out very quickly. So it started out with that. But I think now um, I'm equally as passionate about also helping business owners like, okay, 
you know, what, what's the packaging looking like? What is, um, you know, where's your sourcing from and kind of going that route. And I would love to go deeper into that as well. Well, everything you just said was super (laughs) affirming to me because I feel like, I mean, we're so new lady farmer. I mean, we've only been at this, this will be, yeah, I think, I think mom, I, I watched the true cost documentary in April of 2016. So it's really four years since that seed was planted. And, um, we have felt it's been so, you know, I mean, turbulent isn't the exact word. It's been awesome. Up and down. Amazing. Love it. Recommend. (laughs) But also it's been, um, it can be super discouraging. And I think that there's a big myth out there and there's a lot of people that are trying to sell you um, growth and lists and numbers and followers. And if you have these, then you will have um, happiness. Yes. All of these things. And so I really kind of just recently, and this is me being like, totally candid and transparent, which I'm happy to be, but only recently have really felt um, that we've started to kind of click into um, a really solid, um, we've always known what our mission is and kind of what we're doing, but I think like a real confidence behind it. And um, mom, would you, I don't want to like speak for you. I've felt that way. Um, And, and the kind of, since we've made this realization, it's felt really natural and awesome. (laughs) Yeah, well, I th- I think the reason for that is like the ideas and what we've been trying to, you know, talk to people about. Um, you know, more people are are catching on, and certainly this this crisis <clears throat> has has had a lot to do with that. But even before the crisis, I was starting to feel like our message was less marginal. Yeah. Um, you were finding I mean, your it's time is just starting to really build yeah. that community base. And I think that is so huge. Absolutely. That that's that's exactly what it is. And even from the beginning, like when we started this like three and a half years ago when we 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 got official with okay, we're in business, we're in this business, and um it really, you know, took us a while to get our feet on the ground and what what were we really doing? Um, but all along, even from the very beginning. The most gratifying thing has been building this community and meeting people and just mm-hmm. talking to the coolest people all the time, just like right now. And just, it's just, it's so much fun. That never gets old. That always feels relevant. That always yeah. feels meaningful. And just, it just keeps me going is like, who's the next cool person we're going <laughs> to be able to meet and talk to and exchange ideas with and get all revved up. And it's just like, it's like fuel. I just, yeah. It's, it's such it a testament so to the idea too that if you start talking about and thinking about and building the world that you want to live in then it'll like kind of start coming yeah, together yeah. and I Absolutely. feel like that ever since we've started Lady Farmer like mom and I live in Lady Farmer world and it is so fun like we can't be there all the time but when we're tapped in it's like so awesome that's well, amazing and I think the stories that you guys are telling and the information that you guys are sharing is so important and um to me, I guess when I started to have that same experience that you're describing of really clicking in and being like, okay, what is my purpose? And when I dug my heels in to something that was the, my purpose that was much larger than myself, it's almost like, I what was I doing before? 
you know? And Mm -hmm. so that's what I challenge all of my past clients, all of the entrepreneurs that I come into contact, no matter how it is, but it's how can you deepen that purpose and how can you think, you know, outside of revenue and outside of, you know, pretty graphics and, and, you know, beautiful visuals, but how can you craft something that has legacy? Like, what do you, what world do you want to create? What impact do you want to have on the world? And I think those are really important questions that a lot of people aren't asking. Mm-hmm. Is, is there like a specific, um, can you speak to, you know, the turning point, a turning point or a transition or something that like very specifically happened where you, it was that moment where you, the mission clicked or your purpose clicked or, Maybe it was an aspect of sustainability that were like, wait, we don't have this right. Actually, it's this way. And then things kind of aligned after that. Absolutely. Um, and if anyone's ever heard me speak before, um, my first aha moment that like changed my life was um, a beach cleanup. And it initially started with just me on the shoreline while Aaron was surfing um, at our local beach. And my mom's a big shell collector. And I'm not really, but I was, you know, done reading my book and started walking the beach. And I was looking down at the shoreline. There was blue fleck after blue fleck and purple and green and pink and orange and yellow. And I started picking it up and I was like, oh, at first I was frustrated with quote unquote tourists or quote unquote locals. Like I thought it was placed there unintentionally or like I, that's kind of my, my thought was, and that shows you how naive and and misunderstood um, how much I misunderstood the situation. So I was picking it up and soon it was handfuls and then it was pocketfuls. And then, you know, I had too much that I couldn't carry. And so I started going back more and more and would clean it up and felt pretty good about myself or, you know, I'm doing something. And then after doing that for a couple of weeks or however long it was, I started wondering like, okay, this, this isn't from, this isn't like, you know, a soda can or a a plastic fork. This is like micro, you know, small pellets of plastic. Where are they coming from? And so I started diving into that, into that work. And that changed my life. That one question of where does this come from changed my entire life because I realized it was me and it's you and it's the corporations that we're supporting. And that blew me away. And you know, I think it was, that was the, the, like you said, the seed that was planted. Like, I love that yours started with the True Cost documentary. Like, that's an incredible documentary and absolutely calls for change. And I guess mine, because it was such a personal thing, I then felt like I was on this, like, personal journey and that nobody in the world, like, was aware of this because nobody in my personal space was, mm-hmm. right? Um but I'm really thankful to have tapped into a lot of different communities and nonprofits and other people who knew more than I did. And that's like the number one thing I recommend to anyone is educate yourself. Like you will never dive deeper into sustainable living practices because someone tells you to. You yourself have to have the knowledge in your brain of this is the, the issue that it's causing and and I am part of the problem and here is the solution. Um, that, so that was, that was my very first like aha moment that changed my life. And obviously that, you know, had a ripple effect down the line of changing our business and really, you know, sifting through, you know, after the anger and the frustration and the sadness and the heaviness of it all. 
Um, I think my purpose as, you know, a creative, as a human, as a business owner, as a mentor, um, kind of all came into focus. That's really, really a wonderful description of, um, like a a life transition really Mm. on a, on a very deep level. Yeah. And, um, I'm so happy to have you on here, like that you can inspire people to like, just to go that deep. And I think, I think one thing that tends to happen, um, is that, you know, you could have walked the beach there and you could have, you could have, you know, blamed everyone else, you know, and say, oh, these, these companies. Oh, I did. Oh, I did. (laughs) But then, but you ultimately said, no, this is me. Yeah. This is me buying. I'm. I am complicit in this, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, we all like for year. And here I am, like I'm in my sixties, and like how many years have I, you know, um, bought these things and tossed them in the trash and not We're felt very good that. about it, but not yeah. done anything about it either. You know. Yeah. Well, and you want to know what what actually made me say this is me. Um, yeah. I think it was like, I'm trying to think. It was probably a year later. So that whole year I had spent like trying to find solutions. I knew I was somewhat of the problem, um, but it was definitely like I, I felt more frustrated and angry at the general public. Like I was included in that, but I was like, well, I stopped drinking water bottles and I don't do straws and, you know, I don't do this. And I I don't think I was on a very high horse, but I was certainly on somewhat of a high horse. And yeah, of course. Um, defensive. Yes. And just like angry. And I was so angry (laughs) all the time, just like grumpy, angry environmentalist. Right. And then probably a year later, um, I was at a, like a, a community beach gap, like a beach cleanup, but it was a small one. It was a bunch of different, um, journalists and photographers and stuff like that. We went to one of the dirtiest beaches, probably the dirtiest beach in Hawaii and why we have it on our beaches here so intensely is because, we are this, you know, isolated chain of islands in the middle of this vast ocean. And um, if you know anything about the oceans, there are, um, there's something called a gyre and a gyre is like a um, whirlpool, if you will. It's a swirling, um, it's the, why can I not think of the word? Um, Current? Tides, currents. There you go. Thank you. So it's the way that the currents are swirling. And so they're picking up all, you know, the, trash and all of the plastic that's floating around in the ocean um, off of the west coast of America, off of, you know, over by Asia. I mean, it's swirling all of that into this lovely plastic soup and then just delivering it right onto our shorelines all over Hawaii. And so Mm. we live in like the mecca of plastic pollution, if you will. And it's so disheartening and it's so sad. Um, And so we were over on Oahu big group of us and a mentor of mine from Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii, um, Kahi. I've told this story before, but it's one of my favorites. So we're walking the beach and all of us had definitely seen plastic pollution before. All of us deeply care about the earth. That's why we were all there. And none of us could wipe the like shocked, jaw-dropped look on our face just because it's so intense on this specific beach. It's like blue beach, if you will. It's like there's huge oh. debris. There's bottles. There's all this stuff. But oh. He taught me so much that day that, you know, I was picking up um, different things and, you know, pointing out like some people were pointing out, oh, well, this has like an Asian label. Like it's because of foreign, you know, countries that this is a problem. Okay. And he picked it up and said, how many brands do we support that's, you know, created 
off our shores. It's not made in America. And we point to them, but it's our money fueling it. Cause that was the first aha. Then mm-hmm. um, I picked up a, a fish trap and I was like, fishermen, like I've heard that they're some of the worst like polluters um, you know, that they just like will catch, you know, the fish and then chuck the, whether it's an oyster spacer or a um, fish trap or whatever. And he picks up the fish trap and he called everyone's attention. And he said, do all, do any of you wear makeup? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, then you're part of this problem. These specific hagfish traps, they use the goo from the outer layer of this fish in cosmetics. Yeah. And high-end cosmetics. And yeah. I was just, I was like, what is happening in front of my face? I was disgusted. I was already, I think on like, no, I definitely was on a clean um, beauty regimen. Like I was already pretty mindful of like, some people think that vegan, um, like skincare or makeup is so silly. Like wh- obviously it's vegan, it's powder. And then you actually realize what's in those, you know, uh, products. And you realize that vegan is actually very, very, very important. Um, but to have him tell me that, that like, how dare I blame somebody when I participate in this? And also he pointed out like, we're an all time hive eating fish. Like we, as a, as a consumer or as a population are the ones that are demanding this supply. We are demanding it. We are saying we want to have sushi in the middle of America on a Tuesday night. Like I, I want a whole boat of it and I want it now. And so how dare us blame, you know, other people when we're part of the problem. And obviously like if you're doing a huge part, you know, on your own, you're, you're not eating this and you're not doing it. You don't have to blame yourself for that specific thing. But to say that any of us are not a part of the problem and that therefore we don't have to be part of the solution is just missing so, so much of, of the view and of the reality. Yeah. I, um, I was, I noticed I was looking on your website earlier and you have this beautiful, um, like description of the phases of activation and something that you just said, um, I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit. Um, was it awake, aware, and then activated, um, and kind of how that relates to what you were just saying about, it's not about like feeling bad or realizing like who's the to blame. Like, it's not that it's my mom and I, like, we work so hard to articulate this. I don't know how, if we've achieved it yet, but it's like, it's something so different. And it's usually the word that we land on is awareness. Mm. And so I I just really love that phases of activation um, description on your website. Can you talk to that a little bit? Absolutely. And another word that comes to my mind besides awareness is empowerment. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's something so, like, to me, knowledge is power. And so the more that you know, the more you feel aligned with your values, because so much of this, like this idea of awake, aware, activated. So, or I, sh- I don't know if it's aware or awake, I should know this, but whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, is you start, of, you might've seen, you know, a photograph on social media of a plastic straw through a turtle's face, or you see these beaches or, um, you know, you, you hear about climate change, you don't really know what, how you're involved in that or what to do, or mostly it starts with an an understanding or an awareness of it, but then not wanting to act on it either because you're overwhelmed, you don't understand the complexities of it, whatever it is. But then 
once you're willing to kind of dive into that and be like, wow, okay, I can actually make a lot of change like pretty easily. And this is really exciting and I can have ownership in my life. And that's beautiful to me. And so then that becomes, you know, you're awake and you're ready to do something about it. And then activated, I think would be, um, okay, what's, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, you know, is it um, swapping out, you know, plastic, single-use plastic items for things that you can reuse and reuse and reuse? Is it um, switching to renewable energy? Like it, like we have solar on our house. Like there's little tiny things and there's really big things. But to some people, like, for example, if you, if you are a builder and like you build homes and you make that one choice to be like, I'm going to install solar in all of my houses or, you know, to them that might be small, but to someone at home, that might be a really big thing. So you just have Mm -hmm. to know your own lens, like whether it's switching your tools or commuting less or like whatever your specific journey is, it's just taking that, that action. It's, it's becoming activated by saying, Hey, I'm going to participate in this. Right. And then I, and then I think it's really like not helpful to get overwhelmed and distracted by all the things that you, we obviously don't have control over so many things. And so, um, something I love that you said empowerment because something that we try to instill in our listeners and readers and community members is that it's like, just do the thing that you, that feels accessible and good for you. And like, that is so many, you know, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a, like I said, one foot in front of the other. Once you make one or two changes, like it just unfolds. And to me, like mm-hmm. that's the idea of the awareness and then becoming activated because once you learn something, you can't unlearn it. You know, once you know that there's an issue, like you're going to do your best to, to find the solution and to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first learned about the um, problem with the the micro fleece and the yeah. you know the yoga pants. <laughs> I mean that's that's been kind of a fairly recent revelation. Yeah. Um, and like you know I'm I don't teach yoga that much anymore, but for a while I taught yoga a lot, and so my whole wardrobe was like yoga pants. <laughs> yeah. And I was. I was horrified, like, oh my gosh, you know, every time I wash these things, you know, and they're going into the water supply in the ocean. And I'm, I'm like a huge contributor to this really horrible problem. And, um, that was kind of an aha for me, um, how something that I thought was so, you know, I was being, you know, helpful. I was helping people. I was, uh, I was being healthy and, and so then, um, you know, that, that wasn't the very beginning of the whole thing, but that was a big one because that, there's just, that just encompasses so many things. It's, and then to, to go on and learn it, it's like all, all the fleeces and all the yeah. things that are made out of the recycled water bottles. And then, and then you, then your eyes are open to the entire industry that calls itself earth friendly that are made out of plastic water bottles that are just, just creating more of the same problem well, and, and then you so, you know it's so hard to think about um so when you go to larger beach cleanups here or even if you're just doing it you know on your own and walking the beach it's so hard to pick up like little pieces of microplastics you often see people using mm-hmm. sifters to kind of get it out and then you know remove it yeah. um and 
so you think about that and then you think about how hard it would ever possibly be to remove fibers. And so anyone that's listening, that's not familiar what we're talking about with the fibers. So I was introduced to this by the book, how to give up plastic. If you are looking for a resource, it's an awesome one. It goes room like room by room in your house. It's written by um, somebody by like the vice president, I think if I'm correct of Greenpeace and it's just really well written, super simple to follow. Yeah. It's amazing. And so I was reading that book and I was just like thinking, you know, okay, I'll find some new ideas of like plastic free swaps for the house or whatever. And my honest, like my honest to goodness, biggest takeaway from that was that every time we wash our clothing, if it's a synthetic fiber, which I would say, unless you're cognizant that you're shopping for organic cotton, linen, hemp, like flax, if you're, if you're consciously shopping for it, your closet probably is okay. But if you're not thinking about it at all, anything that's nylon, um, like, like, lycra, um, polyester, anything stretchy stretchy is made of plastic. So if you wear underwear. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So unless, unless you're thinking I need to be buying organic, naturally like derived, um, fabric or material, you're probably not. And I'm saying that for my own self as well. And until I was aware, um, I became aware quite a few years ago about the, the harm of wearing plastic, especially on undergarments. That's kind of where I learned it was a naturopath was like, you do not want to be constricting airflow from your lady parts by wearing um, like plastic underwear and, or, you know, whatever it was, polyester underwear. And most women's underwear are lace or some sort of stretchy material that does not yield to be breathable. And so that's the switch I made, but I have no idea why I didn't put it to like, memory like I still kept shopping for stuff even if it's like slow made or like you know the whole fashion industry as I'm sure you guys know is very strange in this in this right and so I read this book and it kind of brought that back to the top of my memory and was like okay not only is it not beneficial for your health it's like it's horrible I mean we know how bad it is to drink from BPA or that's just one of the horrible plastics to drink from or eat from but imagine that we're wearing it on our skin, our biggest organ, and we're sweating in it, we're absorbing it, we're all up in it, and then not only is it causing detriment to our personal health, then we throw it into the wash, and that friction of that synthetic fiber releases all these fibers into our waterways. And something that I feel like is really important to note is even if you don't live by the ocean, your water goes out to the ocean. All rivers are attached to the ocean. Like waterways are connected. And that was one of my big like, oh, I didn't know that. So we all are contributing to this, you know, crazy, crazy amount of plastic pollution that with those fibers, like what, how are we ever going to remove those? Um, Mm. So my one takeaway is get a microfiber filter. Either there's ones that you can like install on your actual washer and dryer um, or you can wash in a bag. And, you know, when you're going forward, buy naturally derived materials. Um, don't go out and like throw out everything you have because then that's still contributing to the problem. But get that microfiber bag and they're not expensive. Um, and it's just being mindful of like finding that fine line, exactly what you said. You know, there's a lot of these companies are making clothing out of recycled materials. 
And for me, it's hard to say that that's a bad thing because until the entire fashion industry moves towards natural fibers, in my opinion, recycled synthetic is better than virgin synthetic. But mm-hmm. is it better than natural fibers? Absolutely not, in my in my opinion. And this is a very humble opinion that I don't. I'm not, you know. Um, a fabric or material producer nor grower. So take this with a very large grain of salt, but that's just my personal understanding of the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you a hundred percent about that. Like, yeah, recycled is certainly like, better. Recycled is certainly better than creating new plastics cre- yeah. to create new synthetics. However, what I, the caveat that I want to communicate or to bring up is that for most people that um, it's maybe- It's not like a pack. It's not like, oh, it's okay because it's recycled. Exactly. It's like- yes. Thank you. Right. So yeah. so in other words, like, you know, people might say, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy this earth-friendly fleece hoodie. And it's it's good because it's made of plastic water bottles. Yeah, that's great that they that they made that out of existing plastic water bottles, and those are not in the ocean. And the whole ninety nine point nine percent of the rest of it ends up swirling around Hawaii or whatever. And um, so, really, ultimately, the plastic water bottle industry needs to go away. It does. Yeah. And and we need to stop fueling it, and that's what's the hard yeah. part about it is. I'm yeah I want to point fingers at the at the companies absolutely positively and I think that there needs to be action taken today like I don't even know why there's still a plastic beverage like industry at right. all at this point right. I think uh, yeah. we are educated enough as a society to not participate in it but it's crazy that they're still making money because people are still buying these beverages in Plastic water bottles. No, like I just don't. I just don't get it. I'm just lost. And I just want to say too. I think to bring it back to like slow living and what we're talking about at Lady Farmer. When you're at the store looking at the microfiber fleece sweater that has the tag, you know, it's environmentally friendly because it's made out of recycled water bottles, and that that might be a reason why you might want to buy it because you're feeling like you want to support the planet and you want to support recyclables. But the issue is. Do you need the sweater? Yeah. <laughs> and like, why are you buying the sweater? Are you buying it? Yeah. If you're buying it because you want to help the earth, that's not a good reason to buy a microfiber no. um, sweater. And so it's kind of like there's all these layers. And, and, and I think back to kind of your phases of like understanding your phases of activation. I think we, we act a certain way and we make decisions based on, you know, how much we know at that moment. And then we might learn so much more and we act differently and it's all a process, right? It's all evolving, but what comes down to that moment in deciding why do I need this sweater? That is, I think kind of at the heart of slow living that we're talking about and that um, lady farmer tries so hard to, bring this idea it's really hard to articulate kind of into awareness of like really getting in touch with what are our actual needs and um if we are tending to our very like um you know innate human needs and we're being kind to ourselves and the earth and our community we will not produce the excess of stuff um that we are and you know maybe we can really get to the you know proverbial root of the issue, if you will. Something that I really struggle with is um, 
seeing like buy this it will save the earth and Mm -hmm. I'm a proponent of like don't buy this that will save Mm -hmm. the earth Mm -hmm. um and I think something that's hard is like we wear clothes every single day and Mm -hmm. so I I have like a network of sustainable brands and also like secondhand shops that I tend to you know procure my um, my clothing from that I have to wear. Um, I'm, I don't live on a nudist colony. I do wear clothes. So um, I, I struggle with the fact of like, with my online community, do I share, you know, conscious brands or sustainable brands, quote unquote, um, or is that going against exactly what I believe? And so I guess I've never really said it out loud, but for me, it's like, don't, don't buy unless you need exactly what you said. Like, Mm-hmm. really learn to discern in your life what's need versus want. And when you do really need something, um, shop well, buy well, so you can buy less, buy something that you can really, really use for many, many years. Um, and be conscious of, of those, those dollars and like what sort of future you're investing in um, when you're purchasing something. But just know that like by buying those brands, you're not like save. We're, none of us are saving the world. Um, we're creating a different, more like circular economy, if you will, or um, a more responsible um, future, if you will. But I just really think that kind of getting that baseline understanding of what you're talking about, like need versus want, and reducing the excess, really like leaning into that. That's the biggest lesson that our generation needs. Yeah. And we have to understand too that um, the entire world system is based on us wanting to buy things and being convinced that we need things. So when you're making that sort of a decision, like I'm not going to buy that sweater because I really don't need it. That's really radical. That's like paradigm shifting. Um, You know, it doesn't sound like much when, you know, like on an individual level, like I decided I don't need that. But just think about it. If everybody did that, everybody, that's, that's what's going to really like, like shift things. And here we are, here we are in the middle of this, this crazy unprecedented thing. And where the the economy has really, really ground almost, well, certain parts of the economy, not all the economy, but people are looking more at that. Like, like, absolutely. Like what I was saying earlier about the, um, the suggestion in the, in the um, slow living challenge, just decide if you really need to go out on that errand and, and don't buy anything for a week. And just like two and a half months ago, that seems so out there. And, and now, um, people are doing that all the time because you know they're told not to go out and look look what an impact it has had already it's um, amazing it's so cool and i think we realize how well for for me personally i can't speak for anyone else but um like i said we've really shifted our dollars to all local like i haven't gone to a supermarket since this, i don't well we don't really shop at a supermarket anyways but um we've gone to the local health food store I think twice um, in the last like two-ish months. I don't even know. And then the rest of it's been a CSA. And so when people are, um, a lot of people have a lot of time right now. And I think are re-examining their own 
habits and their own practices and their own ways of living. And so I've received like a lot of questions on what we can be doing. And for me, that's like the biggest thing is, is shifting your, your dollars locally. And it has such impact. Like if you go from all of us supporting these really, really, really large companies that we have no attachment to, to supporting like your farmer down the street, like that has such impact. And I think just diverting and um, changing where we're like putting our resources in this case, the resources money is so powerful. Yes. And there's a lot of, um, I think anxiety out there, like, you know, we, we've been, we've been through this period of globalization in the world and that's turning, that's really turning back around, um, because we are witnessing right now the, um, the weak, weak links in globalization. Um, so, so how are, how do each one of us make sure that whatever is facing us in the food supply in the weeks to come, we don't know, we don't know where that's going, but, um, obviously is to get food as close by as possible. So yeah. it doesn't have to cross the country or the ocean or whatever. And so I think by necessity and by practicality, more people are, are waking up to this. So the circumstances have certainly, um, surface so many of these things that we've been thinking about and talking about for uh, years. years. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's exciting in a way. Um, and like you were saying earlier, Alana, this, this is not to minimize the, um, the suffering and the hardship that this, this crisis is, um, presenting to so many people that is not to be minimized at all, but to look at a more positive side or something more enduring and something hopeful is to look at the necessities that this is the necessity for a different way of thinking about some of these things. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. One of the biggest things that I think people have a hard time wrapping their mind around is, and myself included, is like our carbon footprint. That's one of the the least tangible things that we have impact on in the world. And something that like just cuts your footprint like wildly is by supporting local agriculture and also locally, like actually locally made goods, not a local shop that flies stuff in from this, there, and the other, like places that actually do things right there with resources that they have. Because you go from shipping, say, a book or a, you know, whatever you're buying um, from halfway across the world from Amazon. I mean, and I think something that living in Hawaii has taught me is this, like, there's no such thing as like Amazon Prime. We don't, we don't get something quickly. Um, <laughs> and, and so I don't, we don't have that. We don't have like a meal delivery service. We don't have anything like that. And so moving here taught me so many lessons and just spanning my life, my life in so many ways. There's been so many lessons learned here, but that's one of the biggest ones is like, I would rather go find something locally and buy it there versus having something that's been shipped back forth, back forth and, and brought to my lap. Um, and that's one of the biggest ways you slice your carbon footprint is just by not shipping things from China or from, for in our case, across the, you know, America, we live in the middle of nowhere. So we have to be very mindful of where we're getting our stuff from. And when this all hit, 
um, that's my first thought is food because this is really weird. And if, if you're not familiar with Hawaii, um, 90% of our food is shipped in. And I think that is so scary. That's bizarre. Um, And also surprising. Yes. And we could be completely self-sustaining on our island specifically. I think the other islands could as well. Um, I don't know about the population size versus the land size, but here on the big island of Hawaii, um, we can be completely self-sustaining, but it's because of these really large, um, you know, supermarkets and surplus stores and whatever that people are flocking to just out of, you know, autopilot, you know, whatever it is. Cause even the, the, um, supporting the local agriculture is really inexpensive. Like it's, it's relatively, I wouldn't say it's pricey. I wouldn't say it's more expensive. I would say it's pretty equal. Um, but it's just not, maybe not as known or, um, it's not in like the public consciousness. But to me, as soon as this hit, I was like, that's so scary. Cause what if that boat just didn't come? What if all of that food just yeah. didn't come? You know, you might be surprised to hear that we have the exact same situation here in the um, Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. You're kidding. Over 90%, no, over 90% of our food comes from California. Oh, that's so scary. It's, it's yeah, and too, especially because I, Maryland is like it's a farming state. Yeah, that's what like, I was. It's thinking. mostly farms and a lot in Virginia and West Virginia, like just the land that is around us and the farms that are around us. Like you could, if you're conscious about it, you can eat completely locally. Well, but no why, one knows why from California. Why isn't it being regionally supported? Because the. The farmer, the local farmers, are mostly commodity farmers, and they're growing, um, they're growing industrialized crop for the food industry, for the larger industries, commodities, and yeah, over the last, you know, since since the fifties, um, they've gotten away from growing local Produce. food because the yeah. the whole food industry, you know, it's like get bigger but get out, you know, grow a whole bunch of corn that you can you can um sell to the big companies. And that you get a check from the government for. Like it's all subsidized. Wow, 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 wow. My mind is being yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so sad. The the moral of the story is like, you know, when you know, when I first heard that statistic, um my mind was blown. And then I started, that was before Lady Farmer. And I started thinking that the exact same thoughts you were having, like, what if there was a fuel crisis and the airplanes, you know, uh, you know, what if it got super expensive to fly the, the, uh, food across the country and, you know, suddenly a tomato is like $15, you know, well, people are going to balk and squawk and say, how can this be? And they say, this can be because we forgot that we can grow our own food around here. We have compartmentalized our farming to be in different areas. And mm-hmm. that's so yeah. wildly interesting to me. Um, something that kind of taught me this lesson a little bit was learning about bioplastics. So here in the islands, I don't know about the mainland, but here they've overtaken so many um, like restaurants or little, you know, takeaway to go places or whatever, all use these like quote unquote compostable plastics. And Mm -hmm. um, the hard thing about it is that here in Hawaii, we don't have any industrial composting facilities. So it's literally just going to landfill. It's just like greenwashing. And Mm -hmm. I started looking into bioplastics and thinking like, is this a better or worse alternative? And 
the part that I read about and have kind of researched more in depth is understanding that so much of our farmland in America is going to be dedicated to growing, like you're saying, uh, commodity like sugarcane or corn or whatever it is to then make plastic rather than if we just used that farmland to produce food (laughs) that need to come in the plastic that like that that's the solution like it's like uh, something wild I would have to look it up um I'll send you guys a um an article to include in the show notes but it's like I think it's like 34 million acres or something I mean I don't quote me but it's very enormous and just thinking about how much food could be created instead of like making this convenient quote unquote and they're like mixing it with plastic so it doesn't actually fully the whole thing is just so crazy to me this idea of like we're farming things and not just farming food like why why are not why are none of us farming food it's yeah. like we're feeding feeding industries instead of people. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. That is the oh. what the world needed to hear. That I is you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I will I will say though that I've I've been reading a little bit about how the the COVID crisis has created a surge in people interested in local food. So this is a hopeful thing. And yes, um, we victory gardens and all the things so much local mm-hmm. food. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, you know, hopefully that's w- one of the very good things that comes out of this. And our, um, our local CSAs have are you know, are filled up and, and, um, Same. and have waiting lists. And I mean, I just think that's, that's just awesome. And, you know, when, we always go back. We we always talk about the fact that um, when people want something and they and they express the desire to buy it, that is when the market responds. Absolutely. So um, if people are beginning to express that they want the food that's grown around them, because um, maybe they're not aware of the whole the bit about regenerative agriculture, or the the problems with industrial agriculture, but they literally are worried that maybe they won't have enough to eat yeah. if they have to go to the supermarket because people have gone and they've seen the empty shelves and we don't know what's next. And first it's toilet paper, then it's bread, and then what's you know what's next. Um, <laughs> but when people demand it, then the market usually responds. The problem is the problem with it is that. Most local food production is small yes. by nature, by definition, yeah. and it's not the giant thing. And so, you know, our system wants to support and grow the giant thing. So this is this is the challenge. This, well, this is think, where the education comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say um, if you're listening and you're not a part of a CSA, join one. I just wrote a long blog post explaining what it is and how you can find one locally in your area. Um, and if you already are a part of one, thank you. Um, cause I am such a big supporter of, if you want to see something, invest in it because exactly what Mary just said, these are small farms and like, they don't have the, you know, they, they don't want to be the big guys. They want to support like person to person, not person to industry. And by us investing in them, like obviously a lot of them are going to have caps, 
But if you show interest, if we all show interest, that gives them the possibility to maybe buy another plot of land, you know, or to like, you know, encourage another farmer to open up a CSA, like by communicating our needs and the supply that we wish to see, we really do create, we create this. And so by really getting on those wait lists or joining the CSA and I like ours isn't waitlisted because we, we grow year round. Um, I don't know why I'm saying we, I am not one of the farmers. I would like to be one day, but um, the CSA that we belong to is year round and they're like so thrilled. They said, you know, so many people have joined on during this pandemic and they're just like absolutely honored to serve their local community. So I know people in your area are in the same boat. So just look it up. Like I said, I have a resource on my, on my site. I'm sure you gals do as well, but uh, a CSA is one like small step, but it's like huge progress. Yeah. And I'll add a plug here too, for anyone lo- listening locally, actually, it's not even local. mom, isn't grass fed on the hill. Doesn't the website apply to the whole country or mainland, I guess? The website that applies to the whole country is called 1000 Echo Farms. I believe that's right. We'll have to make sure that's right in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's slightly different from a a CSA. It's a buying club. So if, if you really don't have a CSA or something near you, you might be able to have some luck through this site, you can find a buying club, which is a similar thing. It's not the commitment for the entire season, but um, you're buying directly from the farmers via a local organizer. And in my case, um, I have like a drop-off weekly. So I actually am a part of a CSA, but um, I can get milk and bread and other things that I can't get at my CSA through this buying club. So like I've kind of finagled my own little system, but yes, I'll plug that too. And that will also Um, be in the show notes. And something that I think is so beautiful and so interesting is like the variations of CSAs and what people are doing now with the, um, the like internet aspect of it, right? Because CSAs used to be, so a CSA, anyone that's listening doesn't know what it is. I didn't used to know is community supported agriculture. And so you're essentially investing in a farm upfront and then, you know, reaping the benefits afterwards. And that way farmers know exactly how much they have to grow and um, can use that money that we're all investing in them to, you know, create said food. So it's just a beautiful system. It's, it's awesome. Um, And now I think with the internet and people just adapting and growing their, their businesses into a more modern way of doing it um, for ours, like exactly what you're saying, our CSA provides eggs, um, butter, like hot sauces, sauerkraut, like there's all these different things that they, you know, create and then offer on this online platform. And so we get to go on and like essentially online shop um, and then pick it up every single week. And it's been really beautiful and um, respectful. And just, it's been nice during this, this really strange season that we're all in to like not have to go in and, you know, find all of these items and have the stress. Like we just went to the, uh, the market like two days ago for the first time in forever, like I was saying, and it was quite scary. Like I understand like that, that, that emotions are just high and like, I'm not personally afraid of getting the virus, but just going out and the whole thing is strange. Like the plexiglass <laughs> yeah. separator between you and the cashier and like, just the whole thing was so strange. I looked at Aaron and I was like, we're done. We're done coming out. Like yeah. we got, I got so many staples, like, you know, bulk beans and bulk things, you know, got them all in our 
bags and our jars and we all left. And I was like, we're not going back. Like we have the CSA. We have an amazing system that we're able to support online so simply, so easily. And our money is going to these local people. And so all of these CSAs across America are going to look different. They're going to have different options. Yeah. They're going to have different ordering systems, whether you pick up or it's delivered, um, whether you can pick items or you can't. Like we can't speak for what yours is going to be, but it's equally as beautiful and just so worth looking into. And yeah, and as you just said, um, you know, someone listening to this might say, well, I don't I don't have that here or I, you know, I've never heard of that before. I don't know what it is. So yeah, look it up. Look CSA yeah, community supported agriculture. We'll have some websites on the show notes. And um I I I'm pretty sure that anybody listening to this can um find some some local Something sources for at least some of their food and you, yeah. you know you have to start somewhere but especially in the metropolitan areas this is a really growing thing and it's such an important development as we move forward in the you know whatever we're getting into here you know getting into Next here um, yeah yeah um, into this pandemic era or or at least the new the new normal or whatever it is that all those terms you hear about none of us really know what it is but exactly. we do know we do know that we need to um, um, bring it all closer in like our, our daily needs um, need to be from you know as close as possible to where we are and it's amazing just to experiment too like to kind of see, I loved I loved the entire country needing to figure out what's essential and what's not essential. Yeah, um, it's so different you, state. It's yeah. like it's beautiful to see. I've loved it to it see is. people from all over the country like banding together and like I really try to tread lightly on what telling anyone else what they should be doing besides like that baseline of like find locally to you. Like mm-hmm. I I can't speak to what you need or what, you know, your community needs or what that looks like for you, but you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think once people get into it and start to experience it and just, just the beauty and connection of, of just doing that, of investing mm-hmm. in, investing in something that comes from around you. It just feels so wonderful. It is beautiful. It's so special. And we, like when, when we're in Maine, we eat so diff- differently than when we're in Hawaii. Like, so we split our time pretty evenly. Some years we're there more than here, but I don't eat a single blueberry when I'm in, and that's like quintessential Maine, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't yeah. like, I don't eat like I do there here and vice versa. Like I don't eat a papaya. I don't eat pineapple. I don't eat anything that I eat down here when I'm there because I love supporting the people around me. And I love like leaning into that, like what is available, what's seasonal, you know, and getting creative because the idea of like, I think what I was raised doing um, was you got a craving for something and then you went and had it. Or you yeah. wanted a specific recipe or you found it interesting or whatever, and then you go and buy all the all the ingredients and you don't care if it's shipped from, you know, Saskatchewan. I know Saskatchewan's a real place, but growing up I never thought it was. And so I always use it as like a, <laughs> a made up place. Sorry if anyone's looking from Saskatchewan. Um <laughs> oh. I like if it's if it's shipped from like across the world, it didn't matter, and didn't matter if it was in season or whatever. That's just I was not raised in awareness at all, yeah. and so 
now very much the opposite of like going to a farm stand or, you know, picking up the CSA weekly or whatever and seeing what's in there and then making from that. It's like a creative experiment. And it like some of the most beautiful, tasty, simple, like, oh, and like phenomenal recipes come from that. Some of the most like delicious, hearty food comes from that creative space of really honoring where you are. And the nourishment as well. The nourishment yeah. of, of real food versus weeks old plastic wrapped food. And, um, you know, I think the health of our country has really suffered from that. Um, and I think a, a lot of experts and scientists would agree with that, that that's, that's really the source of a lot of our health problems, but that's a whole nother rabbit trail, but there you go. <laughs> Um, <laughs> lots of rabbit trails here. This is really fun. <laughs> well, Jelana, this has been so fun. And I think I, I almost feel like we've got like mm, another four or five more podcasts. And that's, I, I have a feeling that you might be back. Let's um, do it. <laughs> but before we, before we sign off, I, I would like to hear you talk about, um, I know there's, you're obviously such a passionate and smart and creative person, but, fun. um, and you do all kinds of work, multifaceted work, but if there's one thing that you want people to most understand about the work that you do, what would that be? Oh, that's a deep one. That's a good one to end on. Um, the biggest thing I would want people to understand, I guess the whole root of my work at this point in my life is helping people understand that even though you feel like one drop in the ocean, that one drop has a giant ripple effect. And I just want people to be empowered, whether it's through their businesses, through their personal action, through just living a beautiful, beautiful life that um, everything you do has impact and has power and just lean into that. Yeah. And in my experience, um, you feel so much better when you do like it might seem daunting or like you don't want to take on that responsibility, but when you do, you feel, it just feels better. Yeah. Like it, like I said, obviously there was a lot of like tumultuous feelings there for a while, like while I was changing and, and it's just funny. I feel like a completely different person than I did five years ago. Um, like completely in every single way. And I've never felt more myself. I live a lot more simply um, and I'm definitely so far from perfect. Like as we all are, we're all on an evolving journey, but I just feel more, I feel more aware. I feel more um, in control in like a good way. Like I just, I feel good. Like you said, that there's just so many benefits that come from this and, and um, the journey's worth it. <laughs> It's like along the way, like there's so many steps and I'm sure when I'm, you know, 90 years old, I'm going to be like the amount of steps I've taken in my life. Um, But it's good. It's good to, to pivot and to change and to follow, follow like anything that feels, even if it's, even if it feels insignificant, it's leading you somewhere. So lean into it and um, welcome the change. Yes. And, and listen, and, and when you, feel those, have those disturbing thoughts and things that don't feel right and make you feel unsettled. Those are the doors opening. That's where you go. And that's, and like you listened, you listened to, to what you saw on the beach and how it made you feel and, and now look. So, so this is very inspiring, I think, 
for anyone. Thank you. You guys are inspiring. I was super honored to come on and talk. I've just loved everything you guys have created. And I know you think it's short, but three and a half years of, you know, action is really powerful. And I'm just honored to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So much fun. And and we will do it again because we just have too much to talk about. It's it's (laughs) Well, that was a conversation we certainly didn't want to end. And I hope that we get to have many more with that incredible girl. She's so great. Maybe one day when we have in-person retreats again, she'll be able to come. Alana, if you're listening to this, let us know if you're down. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have a feeling we'll have her back on here. We have, we have way too much to talk about. I, I think we must have talked for two hours that day. Yeah, yep. Anyways, community, friends, lady farmer, best friends. We're, we just, we're so excited about the retreat, you guys, because we just can't wait to meet more of you and to get to know more of you because our life has certainly changed since we started this journey and since we have picked up so many amazing lady farmer friends along the way and we just really want you to be a part of it and guess what you don't have to be a lady and you don't have to be a farmer that's the best part you can literally be whoever you are you are welcome (laughs) at any and all of our events and in our community and um, particularly in the almanac which is launching in its entirety later this year. But for those who are joining us at the retreat, they will get kind of a sneak peek and honestly, the best deal, which is uh, free membership for the first six months or a full year, depending on your ticket type, depending on which ticket you buy to the retreat, grants you either half a year or a full year of a free membership access to this awesome tool. Yeah, that VIP ticket, that's quite the deal. Yeah, so with the VIP ticket, you get a full year. You get all the recordings of all of the workshops, and you get a sweet upgraded VIP gift bag. Who doesn't want that? Yeah, and everybody that signs up gets this cool little gift bag. As long as they last, they will run out eventually. So go ahead and sign up because you don't want to be – you know, we don't want you don't want to run out. You don't want to be gift bagless. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be the, the the one. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to be that person. Just kidding. You can be that person here. Um, if you uh, if money's a little tight right now, and you feel like this is something that you really need to be a part of, but you very genuinely cannot afford to be to a ticket. Then we do have a scholarship program, which is also sweet. We have so many generous members of our community who have already bought tickets, who have opted to contribute a bit to the scholarship fund, which is awesome. So just let us know. Just reach out to events at lady-farmer.com. And on the other end of that, if you are someone who can afford a few extra bucks on top of your ticket, make sure you select that option at checkout. You are touching Others more than you know by doing that. Just that little bit helps so much. And um, as always, uh, 10% of the proceeds from the event is going to Acres of Ancestry Initiative, which is a super cool organization that we will be talking about later on the Good Dirt Podcast. We're excited to tell you more about them too. In the meantime, definitely follow them at Acres of Ancestry on Instagram.
And if you're not following us already, which if you're still listening, it's amazing if you aren't already following us. But if you aren't, our Instagram handle is wearladyfarmer. You can find us online at ladyfarmer.com. And we'd love to have you in the fold, even if you can't come to the retreat. We'll still take you. (laughs) And um, have a great fall equinox celebration, whatever you're going to do. Uh, that was way too rambly. <laughs> All right. Everybody have a great rest of your weekend. Yay. Emma, you can tighten that up, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>you like listening to the good dirt i hope you do because you're here listening to it and are you looking for more good dirt in your life and a community of slow living enthusiasts to connect with all while supporting your favorite sustainable living podcast well we're so excited to offer the almanac it's our private slow living community network where we share workshops activities articles essays recipes and so much more that align with our community's sustainable slow seasonal way of living as a member you'll have access to information sharing and discussions on numerous topics of interest through online threads and frequent live virtual gatherings Members receive access to a virtual community of hundreds of other slow-living enthusiasts, as well as Almanac-exclusive events, workshops, recipes, playlists, online gatherings, and a book club. We offer seasonal activities and ongoing discussions on a variety of topics to guide you on your slow-living journey. Also included is 10% off the Lady Farmer Marketplace year-round, numerous resources and more, and discounted Lady Farmer events, including... The Slow Living Retreat. As a Good Dirt listener, we are excited to offer you 20% off your monthly membership and three months free, which is basically an entire season, if you sign up for the year. So go ahead and go to ladyfarmer.com community to sign up with this special offer just for Good Dirt listeners. Yay. That's ladyfarmer.com community to sign up for 20% off a monthly membership of the Almanac for three months free if you sign up for an entire year. That's ladyfarmer.com community.